0: This morning we started looking at, or continued actually, looking at the process of perception. The process by which our mind recognizes experience. In particular, this morning I talked about the, the naming, they sometimes call it the naming aspect of perception. That um, function of mind that recognizes or names experience like orange or car or crow or anxiety so this is a the function of recognizing or naming experience and that we can begin to watch this process watch how it uh, impacts our experience. Watch how um, it's prone to error at times. Misperceiving, misrecognizing experience and attendant uh, responses along those lines. Seeing uh, a rope, perceiving it as a snake that kind of thing we we explored this morning. There are other functions of perception at this point which I'm just going to name a few of um, just to put it out there. So there's a a function of perception that recognizes or understands space and distance this is the uh, perceptual process that helps us um go upstairs kind of automatically, knowing how far to lift our foot and put it down um, at my parents' house. there's a set of stairs that they had my uh and you know they had a kind of a standard step size, but they didn't perfectly divide the the height into the uh height of the entire set of stairs. And so the very top stair is slightly shorter. And over and over again, pretty much every time I go up those stairs, there's a little, <coughs> because the, the, the perceptual process of going up the stairs has gotten familiar with how far up and how much to step. And this is, this is part of perception. Another a perception we we've been kind of br- barely touching on this is, time, is a perception. The notion of, uh, past and future. And as I we explored last night in the in the reflection, now is all there is. There's nothing else. And yet we have these devices that measure time their conventions that that are at work. And so these are also understood to be perceptions. What I'd mostly like to explore this afternoon with you is the um, way in which delusion gets involved with perception. This is actually one of the key teachings in the suttas around perception and the uh, I I mentioned the analogies for each sutta the other day and just to remind remind us all of the analogy for uh, perception it's perception is like a mirage and again the actuality of a mirage is that it is not just something completely made up by our minds but a uh, a reflection of something like I said the, the mirage of uh, water on the desert is the uh, sky being reflected on the ground and the the dust particles that are up in the air so the reflection, two people standing there in the same conditions will both see the mirage. It's not just completely in our minds. So it's a, ref- it's a, it's a reflection, and so the, the understanding of a mirage as a reflection of reality, a reflection of something, points to the delusive nature of, of our uh, perception, the or the delusive possibility, I should say, not the delusive nature. Delusion itself doesn't have a delusive, I mean, perception itself doesn't have a delusive nature, but delusion easily gets involved with perception, convincing us that um, what we are perceiving is the actual thing out there. And so, thinking about this mirage analogy, you know, if you understand the way mirages work in a desert, you're not going to go running towards that blueness on the ground. You're going to recognize, ah, that's a mirage. If you don't understand the way mirages work, if you're in the desert, you might actually think there's water there and be very confused about where's the water. It looked like it was here, now it looks like it's over there. Am I going crazy? So the mirage analogy is very uh, apropos of what's um, supportive for us around understanding perception. We need to understand perception as perception and not take what we are perceiving to be some actual thing. So the um, the teachings connect the process percep- of perception with a particular process of mind. We could call it a delus- delusional process, um, the process of papancha. The texts don't give a very clear definition of papancha itself but they describe how it functions and talk about its impact on our mind and on our experience. So one of the key, uh, I forgot to bring the text, I'll have to remember it as best I can. Um, One of the key texts that describe the workings of um, perception and papancha Go something like this. Based on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. So this is kind of just the simple process of seeing. There's the eye, the eye base. There's stuff out there. There's eye. There's the light rays that contact the eye. So based on the eye and forms. Uh, I Consciousness Arises, the meeting of the three of I forms and Consciousness, is contact. With contact as a condition, feeling arises. What one feels, that one perceives. So the feeling piece is the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral piece. So there's contact with the sense base and some feeling tone—pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. The mind orients to that and perceives what is being, what is contacting that sense base. And so in this case, we're we're looking at the eye. The uh, the sutta goes through all six sense bases: seeing, smelling, hearing, tasting, touching, and the mind. So I'll repeat that part again. Based on the eye and forms, I consciousness arises. The meeting of the three is contact. With contact as a condition, feeling arises. What one feels, that one perceives. It goes on. What one perceives, that one thinks about. And what one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates about. Now here, the term uh, "papancha" is translating is translated by the term "mental proliferation," and um, various teachers uh, have. Expressed this as um, kind of the mind running amok in in thought around ideas, and um, so a, a lot of thinking in the mind. And so we can see this happening. I talked about the the papancha, or I mean the the process of perception when it's not seen, is a leading cause of wandering mind. We experience a uh, sitting in meditation with our eyes closed, where we experience a, um, a, a sensation in our body. There's, there's a, uh, a feeling and a perception of some kind of strong physical sensation. If we're not aware, ah, oh, perceiving sensation there, we may start thinking about it. You know, what, what's going on there? What's well, the problem? And, and then the mind can, and, and I know you've seen this kind of thing, you know, we can go from a slight ache in the knee to, I'm never going to be able to walk again in moments. And this is one of the ways that papancha comes to be. And so this is, this is uh, one of the processes at work in our mind. The mind runs riot based on a perception not seen. Perceive something, there's a thought about it, and then spreading into a riot of thoughts. The uh, rest of the text, the text goes on there, it doesn't just stop with the mind mentally proliferates. It says, and again I have to paraphrase, I think this is pretty close, but... um, Based on mental proliferation as the source, perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation beset one with respect to past, present and future forms cognizable by the eye. So what this means is that the mind runs amok (laughs) and uh, that running amok then further influences how we recognize and perceive experience. So, and this is a talking about like Perceptions uh, from the past can come into the future. I mean can come into now and influence our experience now So an example of, of how this might work You know you're you're walking down the street and you see someone Seeing a person That might normally be a kind of a neutral experience Just to see a person somebody we don't know for instance just and um, in this case, perhaps the, the form or the body type of the person is similar to the body type of a person who, in the past, was cruel to you. And so, um, because of that associative nature of the mind, that it's like the perception of that person is tinged by the associations with past experience of somebody with a similar body type. And potentially in response to that person, we feel fear or anxiety. In this way, the past, our experience in the past kind of inserts itself into the present influencing how we're perceiving how we're recognizing experience so this points to not only that perceptions you know lead on to uh, various associations and ideas and like the perception of a snake leading on to thoughts about snakes and how we feel about snakes and our fears about snakes. So a perception kind of starting from a a perception we tumble forward into uh, responses, reactions but also mental formations what our state of mind is will influence how we perceive with a very strong cycle. So that's, that's what this teaching is talking about, that our perceptions aren't just like bare perceptions coming in from to a camera or a, or a microphone. They are tinged, it says, by, we are beset by perceptions and notions tinged by mental proliferation. And so, for instance, if we um, are fearful, if fear is present in our minds, we may tend to perceive experience as threatening. So this word papancha here, translated as mental proliferation and which um, Bhikkhu Bodhi in the notes talks about as the mind running riot. Um, There are different understandings potentially of what that word means rather than simply a lot of thinking in the mind. that seems to be the usual uh, way it's talked about um in in many in ma- in many teachings that i've heard anyway um, and the pali the the pali word papancha apparently car- carries a connotation of spreading and so that notion of uh the mind kind of running amok can be understood as connected to that, um, the, the literal Pali derivation. But for me, um, interest in this term, papancha, partly came about through um, reading some of Tanasaro Bhikkhu's teachings and understanding of this term, and also from seeing that there are places in the suttas where it, uh, the suttas actually nearly equate the absence of papancha in the mind with freedom. And it's clear in the text that the absence of thought is not freedom. And so this sparks my interest. It's like, okay, so, wow, you know, the, the term is nipapancha, nipapancha is very close to freedom. It says, freedom is available for one without papancha. So, let's hold that thought for a moment. The other interesting piece about papancha in the suttas is that it often in, in various places uh, points to the way Papancha is intimately connected to quarrels, disputes, hostility in the world. And so I want to explore a teaching story with you. This is from one of the suttas, uh, the Udana. Udana. Um, that shows, or, or kind of points to, how quarrels are uh, connected with a misunderstanding about perception. This is a famous teaching story. I don't know if the suttas are the origin origin of this teaching story, um, but it is found in the suttas. I heard about this when I was a child, probably in grade school. So it's a, it's a kind of a, a story that is uh, in, our, in our own culture, even. It's a story of the blind people and the elephant. So I'll read you just little excerpts here from the suttas. There was a certain king in this town... And the king addressed a man, come, bring together all those people who have been blind from birth and show them an elephant. To some of the blind people, he presented the head of the elephant, saying, this is the elephant. To some, the ear, the tusk, the body, the foot, the tail, saying, this is the elephant. Then the king approached the blind people and said, tell me, what is an elephant like? Each one responded differently. Those who'd been shown the head of the elephant said, an elephant is just like a water jar. Others who'd been shown the ear said, The elephant is like a winnowing basket. Those the side, it's like a storeroom. The foot, like a post, etc. And, having heard each other describe, this is an elephant, the story goes on, saying, an elephant is like this, an elephant is not like that. They fought with each other with their fists, coming to blows over their perceptions of elephant and the beliefs, essentially here, the beliefs that are formed around a perception. And I think in particular, when we have a direct experience you know, and are told, you know, okay, this is an elephant. We have a direct experience, and we identify it as something. Those kinds of, the, the views that that is that thing, gets very strong. It's very hard to dislodge a belief that comes based on direct experience. The Buddha ended this uh, teaching with a a poem. He said, some recluses and Brahmins, so-called, because this whole teaching story actually came about because people were noticing that various um, uh, wanderers were fighting about views. The world is like this. The world is eternal, only this is true. The world is not eternal, only this is true. The world is finite, the world is infinite, etc. So they were. F- that, that was the report that they came to the Buddha with and he gave them this story. And then he ended with this poem. Some recluses and Brahmins, so-called, are deeply attached to their own views. People who see one, only one side of things engage in quarrels and disputes. And so this is speaking to the process of perception leading to views, uh, taking our perceptions to be a a reality. This is the mirage, taking the mirage to be the lake, taking the uh, definition of an elephant as like a post as being the reality. There's another uh, framing for this in uh, a sutta, in one of the shorter collections. And it goes something like, in one translation, Those attached to perceptions and views roam the world offending people. And this is pointing to that nature of clinging to the views related to perception. So this story points to that we not only perceive experience but very quickly create a view, a percep- uh, creative view about the experience. And this can get us into trouble because often our perceptions, only reflect a small portion of reality. It's not incorrect to say, the foot is like a post, the tail is like a broom, but to extrapolate to say, the elephant is a broom, like a broom. Only this is true, everything else is wrong. That's the error. So as we associate perceptions with beliefs, with ideas, meaning, our perspective becomes narrow. We see experience through that perspective and don't see other possibilities. To me, this aspect of the connection to perception that we tend to create a view or tend to create an idea and attribute it to reality. Attribute uh, like as with the mirage. We take the mirage to be something that's not there, take something that's actually there. This may be what Papancha refers to. Tanasaro Bhikkhu translates Papancha not as mental proliferation but as objectification. Another word that might be useful there is conceptualization. The taking of Uh, creating an idea or a concept about what we perceive and then taking that to be reality. Another possible translation which I actually like a lot of uh, Papancha is reification the definition, one definition of reification. It's kind of a funny word, it's not a common word in in our language. But the definition of reification is the process of misunderstanding a concept as an actual thing. Sometimes it's called the fallacy of misplaced concreteness. Taking an idea to be a real thing this to me speaks to what happens for us with perception perception is a is a is a mental uh simple mental process that becomes reified we we take experience to be that thing so as i I mentioned before tanisaro bhikkhu being some of the source of my understanding and Uh, investigation around this, he mentions that uh, the word papancha is used in Indian art to refer to the elaboration of a theme. We might call it a motif in art. You know, in a painting there may be uh, a motif that's repeated in the painting and it, it creates a, a kind of a resonant impact on us to have a motif repeated. Also in music a theme, a musical theme repeated can have an evocative, emotionally evocative impact on us. And he's, so he points to that um, the motif, you know, what what does our mind do with the motif? It it kind of creates a thing about it. It recognizes it. It it responds to it. And so he uses this uh, understanding to justify, I guess, justify his use of objectification creating an object from perception So using objectification. I like conceptualization or realization uh, or reification And so let me just see if I can go back through the sutta with the translation of conceptualization for Papancha Creates a slightly different impact when we think about it this way Based on the eye and forms I consciousness arises. The meeting of the three is contact. With contact as a condition, feeling arises. What one feels, that one perceives. What one perceives, that one thinks about. What one thinks about, that one conceptualizes. with conceptualization as the source. Perceptions and notions tinged by conceptualization beset us with respect to past, future, and present forms cognizable by the eye. To me, that makes a lot of sense. That when we create a concept, we see experience through that concept. It's hard not to see experience through that concept. And so how do we see this functioning in the story? Each person created a concept around the elephant based on their direct experience. So an elephant is like a post or a broom. And clinging to that concept Quarrels arose, dissent arose. So we might think that's a kind of an amusing story. This kind of thing happens all the time in our world, creating conflict, Leading to real suffering. The uh, concept of race, for instance. There's a perception of seeing someone with a skin color that's darker or lighter. And there's a concept of race that's born with respect to that perception. So we don't see that person just as a person with slightly different skin tone. We see that person with a whole host of views and opinions and ideas and beliefs that come along with race. That we have been given by our cultures. Often given in very nonverbal subtle ways. A mother walking down a street with a, a, a small child, seeing a, an African-American man moving her child to the other side The child takes in information, feels the mother's fear. And this is one of the ways, this is some of the ways that this information is conveyed. It's not always conveyed through sitting down and saying, well, this is the way it is. It's conveyed through our uh, unspoken ways of relating to each other. And those unspoken ways of relating to each other are very deep. In fact, sometimes I think harder to, to uncondition because they're not at the, the level of, of ideas. They're at, the, at, their, at a visceral level. And so these concept, the concept of race and all the, the baggage that goes with it has been on display in the last... Well, (laughs) forever. But particularly with the shootings of African-American men by police officers in the last month or so, the last year, couple of years, the frequency of that happening. This is perception and conceptualization functioning and not seeing it, not understanding it. So we might kind of laugh at the elephant story, but we are engaging in this. We are not immune from this. So we can't live without perceptions and concepts, actually. We need them to function, to organize, to orient our lives. Where the problem comes in is the misattribution. It's that reification, that fallacy of misplaced concreteness. If we can recognize perception as perception and concept as concept, we can use concept and perhaps uh, begin to see where concepts are weighed down with baggage and begin to have that baggage be lightened. So, Papancha might be understood as the process of mind that conceptualizes and then takes that concept to be something real. This is delusion at work. Sayra Utejania says, uh, delusion, I'll add a word in here, delusion often doesn't mask the object. I added the word often. He says, Delusion doesn't mask the object, it masks the nature of the object. And I say often because sometimes delusion puts us in a fog and we're not contacting objects. But much of the time we are living, thinking we are receiving experience and living in the world with an accurate representation of reality and yet living through delusion. Because delusion is masking the nature of the object. In particular, in this instance, it's masking the ephemeral nature of perception and concept, concept as a a flitting uh, thought in the mind. There's a Shakespeare quote that to me speaks to this also. I love Shakespeare. In the Tempest, the Tempest is a, kind of a tale about illusion and delusion, I think, and there are several pithy quotes about delusion in there. And it, it seems that, you know the, the tempest is, you know, there's a big storm, and there's a magical island where a, a, a wizard lives, and, and uh, uh, a boat is kind of washed ashore on this island and several of the people who come onto the island are are enchanted. Uh, One of them is seeing uh, monsters in the air and spending all of his time fighting them. Uh, Another is looking around and, you know, the, the, it's kind of a, a bare island, apparently. You know, it's like rocks and not much there. And the rocks maybe were like jade or something. They're kind of green. And the other one has been kind of swayed by this uh, enchantment. And he looks around and he says, How verdant! How beautiful! How green! And the uh, other two people are watching the one guy, the one guy doing the fighting with the air and the other guy saying how beautiful it is. Of one says This is a strange repose walking, seeing, acting, with eyes wide open and yet fast asleep. Classic description of delusion. Another the, the of the other one, they say one of, one of the guys sitting there kind of in amazement as the guy is saying, how verdant, how beautiful. One of, the, uh, one of the friends says, he misses not much. And the other says, no. He doth but mistake the truth totally. That is delusion. We're not missing experience, but we are mistaking it. Totally. And classically, we mistake what is impermanent to be permanent, what is unreliable to be reliable, we mistake what is not self to be self. So, this objectification, Papancha as an objectification. There's a, there's a way in which I really like this translation too, because it points to um, a kind of a sense of selfing that happens along with this process. When we objectify something, there's a sense of other created. And so along with an other created, there's a sense of self-created, a pointing to how uh, intimately connected the process of I making and my making is with this process of objectification. One uh, text says that the root cause of Papancha is the thought, I am. Bhikkhu Bodhi, in his comments about this, says, On account of Papancha, the mind embellishes experience by interpreting it in terms of I, me, and mine thereby creating things in the world that are all about me. One scholar, and if you'd like the reference for this, I'll give it to you, says the name of the scholar. You probably won't be able to spell it. I'll show it to you. (laughs) Professor Pali Hawadana says this process of distorted perception of placing every bare perception into a framework of emotions and beliefs that have come out of our past, our history, our conditioning robs the freshness out of our experience But we are not aware of this constant interference of the past. Because of this unawareness, which is our ignorance and our delusion, we see humanity fragmented as me and others, us and them. And in various other stereotypes, skin color, ethnicity, language, ideology. So it seems to me that this process of perception and attendant views, beliefs, concepts, reification, really important to understand. It also begins to really point to this magic show of a mind we have. How fully our experience is mediated through the mind. That we don't experience anything outside of this mediated process. It's kind of easier to see that the world we construct with our thoughts is a mental construct and several of you have described this kind of thing of just seeing the mind kind of go out into a, a thought bubble and then it's like, wow, that m- the mind just created that and had some belief about it. It's a little harder to really understand that everything including all of our physical sensations, everything we see, smell, hear, taste, touch, all of our experience is mediated through the mind that knows, feels, and perceives. In a way, I think perception and papancha work together to fool us into believing the magic show to fool us into believing we are experiencing what's out there. And as I said the other day, and I'll say it again, it's not that experience is made up. There's actually, I believe, and I know this is a view, but I do believe that there is often a very uh, a pretty good correlation between the perceptions that we have and what's out there. It's not completely accurate, but you know it works for us. I I see you, and uh, the next day I see you, and I remember you. We have a conversation. I remember the things we talked about. You know, it's it's a It's a a pretty good process actually, it works pretty well, but it is easily distorted because it's mind-generated. And suffering also happens because of the misunderstanding that comes about through this process. I think I've mentioned or said that you know when suffering arises when we can start to actually look at it what am I clinging to you know what am I actually wanting here or what am I actually wanting to get rid of or what is it that's motivating the mind here in the wanting when we can really start to see that we see often and maybe even we might be able to see that always What we want is an idea, a concept. And so our minds create ideas and then cling to them and then get upset when we suffer over That clinging what we are clinging to what we what our minds actually cling to is a concept and again Papancha is making us believe that we're actually clinging to something that's there and worth clinging to some real thing So when the mind witnesses delusion's role in the creation of clinging, it begins to gain the wisdom that starts to allow it to let go of that process. Now again, as I've said earlier too, it's like, you know, yes, in our, our clinging is created by clinging to something, an idea in our mind, And yet those ideas, you know, at times those ideas are not like uh, just created from whole cloth. They are a reflection of what's out there. And so, injustice in the world, yes. What we are knowing and clinging to is the idea of injustice. And yet, in engaging in the world, It's not that we say, oh, well, that's just a a thought in the mind, so why bother do anything about that injustice? You know, our hearts actually recognize other beings and have a response, an empathetic response, when we see suffering. And there's a movement to act based on that. Not from clinging, but from compassion. And so sometimes these ideas that we cling to, again, they, 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 they represent something that might be worth heading towards, justice in the world. We just have to understand how to hold those, hold those concepts skillfully. So this brings me to cultivating skillful perceptions. The aggregates happening all the time. The tumbling forward of those aggregates can lead us towards suffering when the choices, the greed, aversion, and delusion are kind of running the show and making the choices of our mind, we tend to move in the direction of suffering. And yet the path begins to point towards the possibility of cultivating another direction. So the aggregates can support freedom also. We've talked about various ways, you know, the looking at recognizing the distinction between unworldly pleasure and worldly pleasure. And cultivating the direction of the unworldly pleasure. Which may arise in dependence on worldly pleasure. Somebody pointed this out in a group today, that seeing worldly pleasure as we see the impermanent nature of, un- of, w- of worldly pleasure, unworldly pleasure arises in understanding that. The delight and joy of clear seeing. So it's not that the, the worldly pleasure turns into unworldly pleasure, but the wisdom and the, the understanding of What that is, it's an impermanent phenomenon arising right now, creates delight and joy in the mind, can create delight and joy in the mind. We've talked about cultivating skillful um, mental formations. We cultivate mindfulness and wisdom and concentration. These are the aggregates of mental formation. And so we, we turn, it's like we're, we're trying to shear our aggregate stip- ship in the direction of more and more wholesome formations. Perception in the practice. You know, in some ways, the whole way that we begin to explore experience is through a simple perceptual shift. We explore the possibility of perceiving experience as experience arising in the present moment. So a thought, for example. There's the possibility of recognizing as a thought arises, this is a thought arising in the present moment. That's a perception. Thought arises, the mind recognizes, oh, that's a thought. That's a perception. Typically when a thought arises, we don't recognize that there's a thought arising. We instead are hooked by the content. Think about what to do about it. Act on it. And so a skillful perception, cultivating a skillful perception around mindfulness is that simple shift of recognizing what's happening in the present moment as a happening in the present moment. That's one skillful use of perception. And then I mentioned, I think the other day, that the Buddha also encourages us to cultivate the perception of impermanence. We talked about that a little bit when we talked about impermanence, kind of orienting or attuning towards recognizing impermanence. Perceiving experience from that lens. He also encouraged us to do this with cultivate the perception of unreliability. Cultivate the perception of not-self. But he stressed in particular the perception of impermanence. He said, when one perceives impermanence, the perception of not-self is established. And so we don't have to try to find the perception of not-self. The Buddha encourages us, just keep checking out impermanence. The understanding of not-self will begin to emerge. So by its very nature, this topic of how delusion works in the mind is complex to describe. Maybe simple pieces of this can be Remembered that sense of how we tend to take our perceptions to be reality. Remembering the mirage analogy and how the person seeing the mirage has a different experience if they know, oh, that's a mirage versus, oh, there's water there. I love the Buddha's analogies because they are so evocative. That, that image may be really all that you need to, uh, to, to support you in the seeing of this process at work. And? Let it go. Forget. Forget everything I said. (laughs) You don't have to remember a word I said. I give you complete permission to just forget everything I said. You don't have to try to remember it. Just being in the room and kind of being willing to sit in the rain of this... little bits of it kind of begin to settle in. keep it simple relax recognize awareness receive experience allow and let the learning unfold let's sit for a minute